You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. So as many of you know, our pastor of preaching and vision, Marshall Dallas, who's normally up here, is on a sabbatical, um, which, which simply means he's taking an extended period of rest um, for about 12 weeks. So he's in about week three. Um, which means myself and others, some of the church planning residents here, Carlos Rebelar was here last week, Cole Kirby will be here in a couple weeks, um, are, are preaching in the meantime. And I think it's fitting because we're talking about rest today, right? So Sabbath is an extended period of rest for those in ministry, or um, that's sabbatical, but Sabbath is something we all have access to. And we've been walking slowly through the book of Matthew, talking about Um, what Jesus is calling us to do. And so if you've been here a couple weeks, you know that Matthew is primarily written with a Jewish audience in mind, right? The book of Matthew is written to the Jews in the region at the time. Um, And so this encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees, who are simply the Jewish elite, is significant. It teaches us a lot about Sabbath rest, but it also teaches us about Old Testament law and the foundation of the beliefs of the Pharisees, right? Right? So let's start by defining our term, Sabbath, a common misunderstanding that many of us might have, and certainly our world has, is that Sabbath just refers to a specific day of the week, right? Like, so some of the world thinks like Sabbath, oh yeah, that's just Saturday, or Sunday, that's, yeah, that's the Sabbath day. But it's less about, um, that, that kind of misses the point, right? It's less about the day, but more about the function of what a Sabbath is. So a Sabbath is a day, any day, reserved for rest. And worship. So it's not just rest, right? It's also defined by worship. And so studying this and thinking about it this morning is important for us at Sojourn, um, at this church, for two reasons. Excuse me. The first reason is Houston is a working city, right? While we do have some folks that are without jobs or looking for jobs, most of us have the problem that we we don't rest, like that we're constantly working, right? And even if you are in between jobs, my guess is that your full-time job is looking for a job, right? Which can sometimes be more stressful than even just having a job. In fact, most of the time it is. Um, So I think there's a lot of us, a lot for us to learn in that we we work too much, right? America, um, almost more than any other culture, is addicted to our work. It's how we define ourselves. When somebody says, well, tell me about yourself. What do you do? Um, We answer with, well, I'm an engineer. I'm an architect. I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher, I'm a banker, um, or whatever, you know? And that's different culturally and historically than, than the rest of our world defining themselves, right? It leaves out our family, or our friends, or our, our beliefs. Um, so the first problem is we overwork, right? We're, we're an overworking culture. <clears throat> and then second, we underrest, right? We need Jesus to help reshape and reform why rest is necessary, what rest is, and how do we achieve it. Um, it's rooted in being a follower of Jesus to understand this, right? Like, this is kind of the theme of what we've been talking about in the book of Matthew. Like, what does being a disciple of Jesus mean? Last week, it was pick up your cross and follow me. And today, Jesus is talking about, like, well, being my follower means you, you have access to my rest. Um, it's part of discipleship that we rest. 
And as disciples, we take who Jesus is and what he has done, and we apply it to our lives, right? Like, that's what being a disciple means. We're just taking the gospel, who Jesus is, what he has done, and we apply it to every aspect of our lives, right? We don't, we don't separate them. The gospel influences all of what we do. That's what being a disciple means. And so here Jesus is saying, I am the Lord of rest, which means Jesus gets all of you, all of your work, all of your rest. So let's pray. Um, that was a long intro, but let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Uh, cool. Father God, thank you for the rest we have found in you and in Jesus, Lord. I pray that um, we're reminded this morning and we leave worshiping you because you are a God of final rest. Lord, we pray for grace as we think about these things. We pray that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would sanctify us and, and conform us into the image of your Son who rested well and perfectly. <clears throat> Lord, uh, teach us through this text. Um, we love you and we trust you with this, um, which means, Lord, as we pick up our crosses and follow you, that we're willing to, to meet this face on and rest one day, knowing that it for, it's a foretaste of eternal rest. Uh, in communion with you. So we love you and we trust you in this. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so I've got um, four sections for us to look at. Uh, the first is just context, right? So we'll talk about the context of the text, what, what is Jesus talking about even in this, in this part. Second, we'll look at what, what this text is kind of calling us to do. So what, what, are we, what is our call and why do we fail at, at living up to that? Third, we'll look at God and what he's done and how he rests, and what he has enabled us to do. And then fourth, we'll talk practicals. We'll get down to, okay, like, what do I actually do now based on this? Cool, so context. Let's, if you're still at chapter 12, look with me a couple verses before the end of chapter 11, verse 28. It says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So before Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees, um, the section that we're looking at today, here Jesus authoritatively tells the people he's with, look, I am rest. Come to me. I am rest. I'm soul rest. I'm not just physical rest. I'm, I'm rest for your soul. No more will you just physically rest on a day. You will have soul rest right? It's important before the events that unfold in chapter 12. So looking back at chapter 12 in the beginning, we have Jesus. He's going through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples start, well, they start plucking grain. They start working. Um, and the Pharisees see it, and they say, look, they're breaking the law. That's illegal to do on the Sabbath. You cannot gather grain on the Sabbath, even though they're hungry. And Jesus says two, two examples. Uh, his first is have you not read which, uh, about David, which as an aside, like telling the Jewish elite of that day, like, have you not read? That's like a, that's a biting comment. These are the people who study the word. Like the Pharisees are known to have Old Testament scrolls on a hat in front of them so they can look at scripture all day and keep it before their eyes, like literally. And Jesus saying like, have you not read that? <laughs> like, is, it's a biting statement. Um, so have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He he went, into, he went to a priest and ate bread that wasn't legal for him to eat, ceremonially, right? 
And then Jesus says, or, so that's like the obscure example where they're like, why did Jesus bring up David eating bread? It, doesn't, it wasn't even on the Sabbath. Like, that doesn't make sense. And then the second one is, or have you not read about the law, um, in the law, how on the Sabbath priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, yet are guiltless? And then he says, something greater than the temple is here. Um, and if you had known what that means, you would not have condemned us, for I am Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is explaining rest and rest for the soul right before this. And then his followers begin to work by gathering the grain, right, which the Pharisees say is illegal. This is against the law that, that you, Jesus, say you've come to fulfill. So why are you breaking it? And when Jesus points them to these examples, he's, um, he's, he's establishing two things differently. So the first one is the, the first Samuel chapter 21. That's the story of King David doing this. So the story is that King David breaks the rules of a ceremonial process when he's fleeing for his life. Um, he, he goes to a priest, and the priest says, well, I've got this bread that's reserved for priests. It's called the bread of the presence. However, I'll give it to you. You can eat it, David, and you can give it to your men to eat. And so David does that, right? It's not an example of Sabbath, so it doesn't, it doesn't directly correlate to what the Pharisees are talking about. But what it does do, Jesus is challenging the foundation of their beliefs about ceremonial rituals, right? He's saying, look, the way y'all understand the law is wrong, right? Not just what you understand about the Sabbath is wrong, which I'll get to. Jesus will. I will too. Um, but what you understand about all of this, all of this, how you understand it is you're wrong. Um, so David... We don't have any condemnation from God of, for what David does when he gets the bread and eats it, right? And, well, we know that David gets condemned by God because David later commits adultery and murder. And, and God condemns those things. God says, that was wrong, right? But not here. Jesus says that David's necessity, Jesus is saying basically that David's necessity in a life or death situation um, excused him from breaking a ritual. It's important because we say, we've said this a couple of weeks in a row, like Jesus comes to fulfill the law, not abolish it, right? Which means that these rituals, um, they point to him, right? The rituals are important not because they need to be followed, but because they point to Jesus. He is the authority, right? And saying this, Jesus is saying, look, the law these ritualistic laws, I'm not ta he's not talking about like don't kill, don't steal, don't murder. He's saying this ritual about like this bread is reserved for priests, that's meant to serve the people. The people aren't meant to serve the law. And so Jesus brings this up. Why? Because Sabbath is the same way, right? Like the day, the day serves the people. The people don't serve the day. So essentially, whenever a tendency of a ritual hinders our ability to, to serve God and serve others, to love God and our neighbor, then we're able to set it aside. Jesus in no way says that the law is abolished, right? But it's fulfilled. It's true with David and the bread situation. Now it's true with the Sabbath. So the, net, the direct challenge to the Pharisees is the second example. It comes from Numbers, chapter 28, um, it's, a, it's, it's basically this, but 
He says, have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? So he's talking about priests uh, performing sacrifice in the temple on the Sabbath, right? But it's legal, and they're not condemned for it in the law, in the Old Testament. They're guiltless, right? He's saying sometimes, you guys know, sometimes temple service overrides Sabbath rest and Sabbath regulation. It it happens in the Old Testament. It happens in the law that you're referring to, that I'm breaking. But by saying what Jesus said in the way he said it, saying one greater than the temple is here, he's, he's ranking himself and his authority above the temple, right? If a temple service, like something that points to me, is allowed to be done on the Sabbath, then here am I. I'm better than the temple. I have authority over the temple. How much more do I, one with authority over the temple and the priests, have to be Lord over the Sabbath? Right? And so, end of chapter 11, Jesus is proclaiming that he's rest and that Sabbath is found in him. Uh, Chapter 12 starts with a challenge of, well, you don't even know what you're talking, like, you don't, your guys can't do this on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, like, no, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And then he acts out his authority and lordship in in verse 9. He went from there, I'm reading now chapter 12, verse 9. He went on from there and entered the synagogue, a place of worship, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. And he said, which one of you has a sheep if it falls in a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man's life than a sheep? So yes, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The hand is stretched out. It is restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees go out, conspire against him about how to destroy him. So Jesus is practicing his lordship and authority over the Sabbath by performing the healing in this section. He is God, and he reminds us of this fact by healing, right? Again, so this is written with a Jewish audience in mind. So Jesus is challenging their understanding of not only the Sabbath, but of just everything. The religious elite are rocked by this message, so much so that they say, we got to kill him. They've taken the Sabbath, something good, something right, something meant to free us from work and slavery and bondage, and they've turned it into something oppressive. They've turned it into something that they enforce. And that's not what the law is there for, right? That's what Jesus is saying. You have taken something good and you've twisted it. But I am Lord of that. So what does this, like, what does this mean for, like, what are we called to do, right? What does this mean for us? Jesus says that, is Jesus saying, like, work is okay on the Sabbath? Or is he saying something else? Um, In America, we have a problem with rest. Like, in Houston, we have a problem with rest. Right? We need help defining what Sabbath is. You know, it's, it's like I was saying earlier, like when you, we're career driven, our identity is wrapped up in what we do, not who we are. The question makes sense, right? Our careers are indicative of our passion, possibly, or what we've studied or what we've worked for, but, but they're not us. They're a means to an end, right? I have this problem too, like, as Christians, though, we, we're called to define ourselves by so much more than a job that we do a couple days a week. 
Let's think about our problem with rest. So like daily we Sabbath, right? We might miss this, but, but sleep is a daily rhythm of Sabbath. It's a rhythm of rest. So if we have, if you think about your day as like a daily liturgy, like we have liturgy that we follow, confession, sin, assurance of pardon. Like if you think about your day that's written out like that, whether you've thought about it or not, your day has a, has a liturgy baked into it by the way you live your life. And our days cap and begin with rest. So sleep um, is a reminder that daily that we can't do everything, right? Like it's a reminder that we need, we need God. God can do everything. We can't. We have to sleep. It humbles us. God is God and we are not. Like I was reading, um, in researching, I was reading a National Geographic article about sleep. And like there's all, it was I think 2010, all these sleep scientists talking about sleep and like what they've studied and what they found out and what they know. And the article kind of concludes with this. Like all the research, all we've learned, all we've studied about sleep, we all agree on only one thing that humans sleep because they get tired. That's like, like years of sleep research. Like, well, we get tired, so we go to sleep. Which I think, like, I think that sleep hints at a, at a spiritual reminder and a reset, right? Like, we're, we're humbled. We're not God. A new day comes. God refreshes us. He reminds us of that. He gives us a new day. So like, like sleep, likewise, weekly Sabbath is more conscious reminder of our need for rest. So most of us, maybe not all, and if, if this isn't the case for you, I'm sorry, but most of us don't forget to sleep. Like we don't wait, we're not just up at six, like, oh my gosh, I didn't sleep last night. How did that happen? Like if you have insomnia and stuff, like I get that, but if you have that, you're like, I want to sleep and I can't, right? But most of us, we, we have to sleep. But weekly Sabbath is something we have to get after. Like, we have to plan for it. We have to go do it. Um, it's a physical habit that we have to practice, right? We have to make it a habit. A day of Sabbath rest, one full day of Sabbath rest, is countercultural. It's, it's a day devoted to reminding ourselves of who God is and what has he done, that God is God, that we can't do it all, and that we have to go to the wellspring of life that is Jesus to be reminded of how we get refreshed, right? It takes a level of planning. And most of us are bad at this. Like, this, I'm chief of being bad at this, right? I value efficiency over almost everything. Not everything, but I value efficiency a lot. Which means, in my work week, I'm very productive. I know, I know, it's good. Um, but my Sabbath is negatively affected. My Sabbath days are often consumed with uh, anxiety about productivity. Um, I frequently cheat my Sabbath by doing a couple things. Like, oh, well, I'll put a, a marketing thing on Instagram for sugar. That won't be work. I don't do myself any favor by doing that, right? The God of the universe has given me one day to make my other six better, and I squander it. I neglect it. And I fool myself out of deep, actual, spiritual rest. It's a sin issue, 
for me. Sin and true rest are incompatible, right? I mean, we don't get that. That means um, if your Sabbath is spent sinning, you're not resting, right? So like if we go out and get drunk, that's not restful. Or if we spend our Sabbath just comparing ourselves to everything else that's going on and, and thinking, man, why didn't I get invited to that? Maybe, I, maybe people don't like me. Or look at what everybody else is doing, right? That leaves me, when I do that on my Sabbath, I'm frustrated, I'm anxious. I'll, I wake up the next day and I don't feel refreshed. These things leave us exhausted. Sin and rest, like, that just doesn't work. We don't rest in the way that Jesus calls us to rest, right? Jesus calls us for deep soul rest, not physical rest anymore. So like another example, like how many of us have gone and laid on a beach for a week and come back anxious, tired, and weary? I have. Or have you taken a personal or a sick day? Like, hey, I just need a day. I'm going to take a sick day. I'm going to lay in bed and watch Netflix. And, like, and then at the end of the day, you're like, man, I feel horrible. Our wheels in those times, they don't stop. Our wheels keep spinning. We keep comparing and working and thinking about work. It's because we, we don't even know, when we take a vacation like that, we don't even know what we need rest from. We're just like, man, I need rest. Our busyness, how busy we are, indicates that there's a problem with us, right? And if you're like me, you use the word busy as a, as a positive thing. So like when people say like, how's your week? I'm like, man, it's so busy. Because all I'm doing in that is I want you to say, look how important I am. I had a busy week. I worked all week, had, me, had this meeting, had that meeting. Man, I'm so important. But I want, I want y'all, when you hear me say that, to say, oh man, what's wrong? Why are you so busy? You need to rest. I want us to be a culture like that where we, where we hear rest and like, or we hear busy and think, man, that's maybe a red flag. What's going on with him? What's going on with her? How busy are you? Did you get a Sabbath? Did you get to rest? Are you spending time with your parish or your friends or your family or your wife? We're never finished working, right? We're career driven. I check emails at home during the weekend. We're not finished working. We're socially exhausted. I constantly, we constantly compare ourselves with each other on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter. We're never finished working. Some of us are exhausted in ministry leadership. I need one more meeting, one more gathering, one more prayer meeting, one more Bible study. Working to earn salvation, right? We're never finished working. We fail to acknowledge Jesus as the source of our rest. And instead, we, we build ourselves up to be the Lord of our Sabbath. Isaiah 57, 20 says this, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Right? There, there's no rest for the wicked. We've heard that which means sin and rest are incompatible. The wicked don't get rest. This is my problem too. Like, this is our problem. So like, what, like, okay. That was, 
depressing. Um, but we, like, one of the first stories God tells us in the Bible is how to rest. Look at the creation account. We know the account. God's, God, like, makes mountains. He makes seas, rivers, birds, fish, animals. He makes the heavens, the sun, the stars. And what does he say after all of it, right? He says, it is good. God is God, the God, God of the universe is giving us an example of what actual rest looks like. He says this uh, in Genesis, and God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. It's not only were the individual things good, all of it is very good. There was evening and morning, that was the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blesses the seventh day and makes it holy because God, omniscient, knowing all, omnipotent, all-powerful, because God rested from all the works that he had done in creation. So baked into the definition of holy rest is, is satisfaction, right? Work well done. But when do we do this? When do we sit back and say, all that I did was very good. It is finished. If you know, like, Pixar, the movie company, like Toy Story and all that, um, the, the animators and all those people, they say, we have never released a finished movie. They say that, like, they only just release it. There's always more work to be done on a Pixar film. It's, it's saying that, Nothing they ever do is finished. Like, isn't that true for us? Like, it is for me. I'm rarely satisfied with what I produce as a pastor, as a parish leader, as a husband, as a friend. Like, I could have always done more. I could have always said more or said something better, more wise. That would have been, man, I wish I would have said that more wise thing. Like, even this sermon, it's like, man, this isn't really done, but it'll preach. <clears throat> and here I am. <laughs> Uh, my work, listen, my work is exhausting, not because it's more or less important than anything anybody does, but because I'm never satisfied with it. Except in Jesus, I have access to satisfaction. Hebrews 4 helps us understand that. It says this, the whole chapter is great, but in 9 it says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So listen, don't miss that. We rest like God rests when we are God's people. We have access to the same type of rest that God did, satisfied. This is very good. His people have access to it. We have access to soul-reviving rest, deep rest. So when we meet Jesus in a way that saves as many of us have, then we get rest, right? How, do we, how is this so? Like, how is that possible? It's the gospel. Jesus buys for us. He purchases for us uh, our rest. Remember Isaiah 57? But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah is a prophet. And now imagine Jesus on the cross, right? Tossing, turning, 
like the sea, not quiet. My God, why have you forsaken me? Eternal unrest, separation from the Father. Forsaken by God. This is the payment for our rest, right? He bore unrest for our rest. 2 Corinthians says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God for our sake. Jesus experiences the separation and unrest that we deserve so that we can have it. When he says it is finished, God is satisfied and says, very good. And when we meet Jesus and surrender our lives to him as Savior and Lord, God looks at us not based on how we fail the Sabbath or our works or our careers. God doesn't say, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. God looks at us and says, it is very good. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And we get rest. He says, take my yoke. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls in me. That's really good news. At the end of the passage, chapter 12, verse 7, Jesus makes the point that him being the Lord of Sabbath is a mercy for us, right? Like, and that's very true. But Sabbath rest is merciful, which he practices by extending mercy to the man with a withered hand in the next section, in a synagogue, a place of worship. So when we have rest, we also have worship, right? And worship can be an extension of goodwill. It's mercy that flows out. And as a, a final kind of aside, the end of that passage, Jesus heals the man with the ha- withered hand, disrupts the understanding of the foundation of the Pharisees, and they decide what? To destroy him. Which is ironic because they didn't realize that their destruction would make what he just said came, come true, right? Like, in their deciding to destru- destroy Jesus, they put in motion the events that would lead him to, to have the authority over our Sabbath, to take on our unrest, and to give us rest. That wasn't their plan. So this is what, like, this is what the gospel provides us, believers, like deep soul rest. The ability to look out and decree that our work is done. Not just career, all of it. It's good because Jesus did what he did and lived how he lived and rose triumphantly over our, over our sin so that we, we are decreed that we are good, Right? So we get true Sabbath rest in Jesus, um, but we can only practically rest, right? So that, that sounds great, and it is true, but how do we practically rest? Well, we only get that when we believe the truth that rest lies in the person of Jesus. So it starts there, right? Understanding that we are not God, that we rely on God to sustain us. So practically, what do we do? Like, what, what do we actually do? Um, well, for one, we should, we should Sabbath. This is like, duh. But for one, we should rest. We should do this. Um, we should weekly rest as an outward sign of our inward rest provided by Jesus. We should devote one day to resting 
Because God in creation, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, like everywhere, knows everything, can do everything, the God of the universe rests on the seventh day. And so when I say, um, I feel pretty good, I don't really need a day of rest. I'm, I'm subverting God's authority over my life. I'm saying, well, that God needed to do that. I don't need to do that. Right? What do we tell our world when we do that? Well, God needed to rest. He created everything. I don't need to rest. It's shameful. We don't trust him with rest. We don't trust him with our careers. We don't trust him with our work. We don't trust him with our relationships or our communities or anything. But the discipline of resting will help us put this right, right? It'll help put us right. So let's talk practical. Uh, Tim Keller, a popular theologian and preacher in New York City, uh, gives us some handles for organizing our day of Sabbath, right? So he says, um, he says not only do we need to do it more, so A, do it uh, once a week, but but some of us, when we do it, we don't do it right, or we don't do it well, or we don't know where to start. Like, what do I do today? I'm, I'm, okay, I'm resting, but what do, I, what do I need to do? Do I read the Bible? Does that work? You know? So he says, he says plan for three things, right? Um, he says, do something avocational, do something contemplative, spend time being contemplative, and spend time doing nothing, inactivity, I'll unpack those. Avocational activities are those that you do not do for a vocation. So if you're a fisherman by trade, I don't think we have any of those, but if you're a fisherman by trade, do not fish on your Sabbath, right? Like for me, that means I don't go on Excel and like have fun on my Sabbath. <laughs> um, but if you're, like, if you're a woodworker, don't work with wood on your Sabbath. Um, but if you're not, like plant plants, cook food, Work with wood, um, go fishing, go kayaking, go running, go on a walk. Do things that you don't do for your profession, right? Avocational. Second, he says, start your day. I think starting your day is the best place for this, but he says, do, spend time being contemplative. That means we're reminding ourselves who we are, Christians, as, as followers of Jesus, now with our identity as Christ. So we spend time reminding ourselves of that by being in the word, praying, and worshiping. That's a great time. The beginning of the day is the time for that, right? Like on your Sabbath, it'll set up the foundation for the rest of your day. Um, spend time reminding yourself who you are and whose you are. And then third, he says, spend some time in, acti in inactivity, right? Do nothing. That's the best part. Like, and it doesn't mean, that doesn't mean like, stare at your phone for two hours, or watch Netflix for two hours. Like, it means sit, preferably outside, um, but sit and allow yourself to think the thoughts that come up and feel the emotions that come up. This is, this is that's, that comes from a biblical law of uh, the Jewish people. Every seven years, they left their land to rest, and whatever grew up just grew up for a year, right? So we want to do that on our Sabbath, to let ourselves just think and talk to the Lord of the universe, and ponder. It doesn't have to be all about like, oh, I'm only going to think about sin for two hours or something. Like, Just let yourself think and feel um, and have relationship with God in that time. That's inactivity. 
it's countercultural to do these things, right? Like, in any secular study uh, that I looked at is just like, one day a week for rest is fantastic. Everybody should do it. Everybody should meditate. Like, those are the secular studies. But we still don't do it. Like, none of our culture does it. And especially in a world that brings technology right to us, like, I can always check my emails. I can always check on something. Um, and our careers have an expectation that we should be working all the time, right? Like, a lot of jobs have this expectation. We're like, yeah, like, 70, 80 hours a week. Or why didn't you answer your phone? It was Saturday. Like, why didn't you? So we're going to have to work. We're going to have to work for this. Um, another thing we have to think about, um, this is the last kind of practical I'll give. Um, a lot of us have Sunday scheduled for Sabbath, which I think that's a great idea. Like, you start your day, hopefully, with believers rehearsing the gospel in, in worship, right? Like worshiping, hearing the gospel preached, like praying. It's a great way to start your day. But it doesn't have to be Sunday. Like it's, it's definitely not Sunday for me. I, I work all day Sunday. Uh, so I have to do a little bit of different work to, to plan out a Sabbath. But y'all who do it on Sunday, that's great. My only warning is that Sunday night, you're going to be really tempted to um, get ready for the week. You know what I mean? Like on Sunday nights, I like to check my emails, look at my calendar, get my ducks in a row before the week starts, and I'm, I'm doing myself a disservice, if that's my Sabbath, right? So I just suggest some sort of planning for this. Um, we're going to need community to help us be accountable here. Like, we're going to need that. And I know, like, some of us have really busy seasons that go in and out, like doctors and stuff. It's like, well, I don't even know what my schedule is going to be. Fantastic. But you have to tell your community, look, like, when this season is over, make sure I rest. Because when we have seasons like this, our tendency, I, I just know it. Like, our tendency is going to be, well, I kinda, that was kind of fun. Like, it's a little addicting to keep working like that. And we're going to do it for decades. So you're going to need your community to just kind of like, like share this with your parish. Like what day, if your parish doesn't know what day you're Sabbathing, like maybe that's a goal for this week of like, hey, what day does everybody Sabbath on? And how can we pray for you on that day? And how do we guard you? It doesn't mean you don't hang out with friends or parish or anybody, but it, it means that that day is sacred. It takes a little bit of planning for us to develop this habit, Right? but we're never going to get there. We're never going to get into a healthy rhythm without the power of the Holy Spirit and by going to the cross first as the true source of our rest, right? Our souls will never Sabbath if we don't find our identity in Christ. Like we, we can go through all those motions. Those are all helpful practicals. But if, you don't, if your identity isn't in Christ, that, those aren't going to work. They're just ideas, but they're not, they're not, they're not it, don't miss the forest for the trees there. Jesus is it. The God of the universe is, is the only one we need to impress, right? That's what, that's what having your identity in Jesus means. Like, we're, we're acknowledging that, hey, God is the only one I need to impress. And when he looks at me, he sees perfection. He says, well done. Good job. Very good. 
Well done, my servant. We all have kind of these like keys to unlocking like a more fulfilling life. Christians, non-Christians do this. Um, a more God-honoring life. Like almost every time I preach, I, I start to believe like, man, this is the thing. If we just got this thing, we'd get everything. So I've done that with like discipleship, like having a meal together, budgeting, like all these things. I'm like, man, if we just got rest, even this week, I was like, if we just get rest, we'll get a lot. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying you should really rest and then you'll get it. No, he's saying you should get me and you'll really get it. I am the Lord of blank. I am the Lord of rest. Come to me. You are a slave no more. Not a slave to your works, to your identity, to your jobs, to your relationships, to your friends, to your family. By Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, all that is cast aside. True rest depends on our understanding of this, right? It's freedom. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The law is perfectly fulfilled in him. This one is not an exception. On the cross, he meets eternal anguish, eternal unrest, so that we can rest. So my encouragement, if, if you're not a believer, like if, you're, if you don't know Jesus in this way, this is an invitation to come have rest. Calm the tossing sea of your soul today. Your soul is a tossing sea. It's a storm that's why we chase so many things in the world to calm it. But believers in the room know we've been there, right? We're refugees of that world. We've left it, and we have calm, even if we don't Sabbath all the time right. Come to him. Come to him. It's finished for you. It's done. Let's be a people who rest deeply in the finished good work of the cross. Pray with me. Father God, we need you this morning and all mornings. Lord, teach us where rest is. Remind us that, that you look on us now with a clean slate that you say, it is very good, it is very done, it is very finished. Well done, servant. Well done. Lord, we confess that we don't do this well, but the comforting balm for us is that you have done it for us. You've experienced unrest eternal and Give us eternal rest in the cross. Jesus, thank you for raising from the dead so that we can raise in new life and rest finally and forever. Lord, we look forward to the day where we rest with you for eternity. I know it's hard for us to believe it, but that rest, that true soul deep rest, Thank you for allowing us to experience it here on earth. My seas are calm. My soul finds rest here.
you are good. We thank you. We're thankful. We trust you. We love you. We give this to you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.